This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Peeler. We've got uh, Graham Williams back in the saddle uh, again as well. Got a cool program. We'll be uh, chatting about 5G and how it's important now to get everyone working together. A lot of politics happening uh, in the 5G networking space uh, with Huawei and the U.S. and the U.K. banning a lot of their network gear. Well, Hewlett Packard Enterprise is a secret lab down in the U.S. that uh, they're using to get all the people that adhere to the 5G standards together to make sure that everything works together. We'll talk about how that's going when we can see this new technology and what are some of the cool things that it'll be able to do as well, which I think is the important part. Uh, we'll also be talking about Alexa. It's getting smarter and smarter. Uh, it's going to start uh, understanding natural language uh, so you don't have to use the exact words all the time to activate it. Uh, and uh, we'll be chatting with Brian Jackson uh, all about that. Let's talk about some of the app news. This one uh, I thought was interesting, guys. Uh, Google's reportedly keeping tabs on the usage of rival Android apps to develop competitors. So Google is uh, using a flavor of Android, which is the operating system. Uh, it's open source, but they've got a special flavor that they use on Android devices around the world. Uh, obviously, Google makes their own apps like YouTube and Google Maps. Uh, so what this story is basically saying is that uh, they're looking at all the other app developers out there to see which ones are the most popular and then picking those and developing competing ones to that. Thoughts? So this is actually not a new thing. Uh, and it wasn't Google that was the first one to do it. Um, Apple has been doing this for over a decade and there's actually a term for it it's called being sherlocked sherlocked <laughs> yeah so you might remember way way back when when apple first introduced their uh their search inside the operating system which was still re pretty revolutionary at the time uh there was a previous uh search algorithm search program that uh, that did this uh it was called alfred yeah and uh, alfred actually still exists to this day but prior to uh, to alfred there wasn't much of a uh you know, comprehensive search functionality on Mac OS. Uh, they introduced Sherlock, which Steve was very proud to bring to the people as if it was some revolutionary new and wonderful thing. And I think everybody that used Alfred kind of looked around and went, uh, beg your pardon? Especially the people that made it. So it's not unusual for operating system manufacturers to, to take a look at the things that do well on their operating systems and then bring those features in. And we've seen, you know, Google and Apple basically take a look at things like the jailbreak community um, or the, the, the hack and the tweak community and say, that looks like a cool thing. Let's go make one of those. Uh, so this, not unusual at all. John? Yeah, I, I think you're totally on point there, Graham. It's uh, it's basically market research, but it does straddle that line of anti-competitive nature because presumably Google and Apple both have insights that the average developer would not have as far as what those things are that are popular, that are well used, and maybe even how they're used uh, without knowing what kind of analytics those particular companies would have from the operating system feedback side of things. In a lot of cases, uh, Apple started to do the right thing. And when they actually see a feature that they want, they actually just go out and buy the company. And uh, typically for what Apple considers to be pocket change nowadays, but is a massive windfall for independent software developers. Um, there was actually uh, some folks here in Vancouver that were working on a file transport protocol uh, for MobileMe that ended up being pulled into the iCloud team. Uh, so this is something that, yeah, you know, these things are out there and software developers are either hoping that their software does extremely well, or in some cases, they're really looking for the acquisition. It's tough, though. Like, if you're an app developer, I mean, you're going up against, like, 
Apple, or in this case, Google. And, you know, from what I've read about this story, um, you know, Google employees can actually go in through what the, something called the Android lockbox and actually see the data of how these apps are being used and how often they're opened. Uh, it kind of gives them an edge, don't you think? It does. I mean, Apple, I think, has been a little bit better about this, um, and they have respected the intellectual property uh, of their users a little bit more. But Google, inherently, this is what they do. They dig into things, they find out things about things, and they use that to make money. We shouldn't be shocked by this one. We're going to have to take a break here on The App Show. When we come back, we're going to be talking about a uh, a secret lab that uh, Hewlett-Packard has that uh, basically tests all the 5G equipment out there to make sure that it all works together. And we'll be talking about some of the things that we can expect to see over the next couple of years with this new technology. And later on, Alexa, is it getting too smart? We'll find out. You're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with The App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We've been talking a lot about 5G over the past year and all the uh, the exciting advancements that are coming and the things we're going to be able to do. A lot of politics happening uh, as well in this space. Uh, we've seen uh, a lot of things happening with Huawei in a number of uh, countries, uh, but uh, 5G is blazing uh, ahead. To talk about uh, 5G in general and, and how it all works and how all these companies bring all these technologies together, we've got a great guest uh, with us today. His name is Jeff Edland. Uh, he is with HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. He's the chief technology officer there of the Communications Media and Solutions uh, Organization with the, within HP Enterprise Services. Thanks for joining us uh, today, Jeff. Yeah, happy to be, be here. Thanks for the invite. First of all, uh, 5G causes COVID, right? Uh, <laughs> well, I think uh, despite some conspiracy theories, no. In fact, it neither caused it nor is it uh, propagating it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just joking there. Uh, Jeff... Uh, you know, Hewlett Packard, uh, and you know, some listeners might not know this, uh, but back a number of years ago, Hewlett Packard uh, did split into two different companies. Uh, there's kind of the more of the consumer side uh, with the laptops, computers, and things like that. And uh, they also split uh, off to the HP Enterprise side, which is kind of the, uh, the server side dealing with smart city stuff, 5G, and, and what have you. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And uh, the communications and media solutions business which we're a uh, software business that specifically addresses the needs of the carriers, the operators, the service providers. We became part of HP Enterprise. So I, I just want to kind of lay the foundation here. And, you know, I think some people might be concerned when they've been reading all the news uh, happening right now with 5G network technology and all the different countries taking different stances. Um, 5G in general, and what I think you guys are trying to do, and maybe you can explain this, uh, is kind of uh, an open standard. And, and you're creating, a, I guess, a, a platform, a lab where uh, different companies can get together to test uh, these different technologies out to make sure that they all do work together. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've been um, a provider to the service providers, um, gosh, for the better part of 20 years. And when the 5G standards and specifications started to get designed, it was very intentionally driven primarily by the operators versus the vendors. And it was very much a cloud design, leveraging IT principles, and uh, it really requires uh, a clean sheet approach. You can't take things that you did in the past 
and you know move them forward to the 5G network and expect them to perform and behave properly, you really need to start from the ground up. Another thing that I would say on this is that as the standards and specifications were written, it was very clear that um, they were done in a way such they were open. So you did not have to acquire a completely vertically integrated stack from one uh, provider. You could actually mix and match components and you could come up with a best of breed solution that would work for you and your business. And, and so that's what HPE has really been in the middle of is, is promoting uh, to the industry that not only are multi-vendor open 5G solutions uh, possible to assemble, they're actually supportable and they will actually provide um, the benefits that everybody's talking about for 5G for the entire industry. It, it uh, I think for many people and even myself, it's a, it's a very complicated, all the different components that have to get together to make uh, all, all of this uh, uh, technology uh, work. I mean, how many different companies are, are you working with uh, to make this all happen? Uh, well, we're working with about a half a dozen companies. And so you would see uh, people who we call platform providers like um, Red Hat, um, infrastructure providers like Intel, you would see uh, more specialized uh, network function or NF providers like Affirmed and OpenNet, Casa Systems. Um, you would see uh, larger partners like a Samsung as well that are all coming together and you know making sure that our kit interoperates uh, properly with each other and is supportable before we deliver solutions to the customers. How far out do you think we are before we're actually starting to see some real world use of 5G technology and, and, and the stuff that it can do? Yeah, uh, great question. So, uh, you know, you're, gonna, you're seeing the network, uh, and when I say the network, the RAN, appear today. And you have operators around the world that are actually implementing something called 5G non-standalone. That gives you a, a very fast you know, connection compared to what you were able to have before. The issue with that, is, though, is all of these wonderful services that we've envisioned are really not possible yet. That will come with 5G standalone, where you've got a, a 5G core in the back end that can light up all of these interesting services for you. I see, well, we have customers that are engaging with us right now. They're putting together commercial agreements with us right now. And they're looking for us to start delivering the 5G standalone core components sometime early next year. So I, I would see, you know, we'll see a pretty significant uptick uh, in what's possible come early next year. How, how has the pandemic affected your rollout plans uh, or, your, or at least your coordination with other companies? I imagine that's probably been pretty challenging worldwide yeah good question it, it's really been interesting and i would say it's been mixed in a surprising way um, we have seen some of the csps and frankly some of the suppliers and vendors uh, really draw back and take a conservative approach really conserve their capital um, 
And frankly, there's been some scarcity of, you know, the components that people are looking for. On the complete other side of it, we've seen some of the larger players um, take this time as an opportunity to really push down on the accelerator and go really fast. And uh, I think they're doing that for a number of reasons. One, um, they could get some interesting terms that they couldn't have gotten in a non-COVID era from some of the vendor community. Also, they saw as they started making commitments to the world in order to maintain connectivity, expand connectivity, everything else, that they really needed to scale um, their network. And so, you know, it's been been a curse and a blessing. We've had to do a lot more virtually. Um, We've had to uh, manage the scarcity of some resource. Um, But, you know, all in all, we're we're figuring it out. I think that that's one of the most uh, amazing things. I, I think that's definitely something the pandemic has proven is that people will f- find a way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, an example I like to use. So one of the things, that, one of the hats I get to wear is uh, I run um, software engineering in the Americas region. And um, everybody always told me that you couldn't do scrum and you couldn't do a stand-up meeting if uh, you had your resources dispersed. Everybody needed to be in the same room to do that. Well, guess what? Um, We figured out how to do it. And not only that, we've seen the velocity increase. So we're actually producing, um, you know, quality code even faster than we were before. Amazing. Um, When we're talking about 5G, just for the listeners out there, they hear it all the time, 5G, 5G, and mostly because of the politics uh, that it's associated with. We're starting to see some of the carriers uh, in the U.S. and Canada. They're rolling out 5G networks in the major uh, city centers. And I think most people will get that, yes, my cell phone will be faster. Uh, I can connect to more things. But can you give us kind of a, you know, a sample of some of the other 5G services, technologies that uh, we can look forward to over the next five years? Yeah, so I, I'm going to get really super practical on you. And, okay, good. Uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of these really fancy envisioned um, things like, um, oh, let's take autonomous driving, for example, you know, and how the low latency network is, is going to enable that. Um, and I think all of that's going to come. But what I think is going to happen next year is you'll start to see something which I'm calling a gig economy emerge. And what I'm, what I'm anticipating is gonna happen is because people will have much more connectivity. They'll have connectivity in a lot of places that they didn't used to have connectivity. And it'll be a lot faster than it used to be. You'll see more people that lost jobs during this COVID period suddenly become kind of a a gig uh, person where they'll take different opportunities with different employers, different consulting gigs um, all the time. And they'll work from where they're at, whether it's at home or they're up in the mountains or, you know, wherever. I think that this is one of the things you'll see emerge really quick. And then to follow on that, I fundamentally believe we'll start to see professionals that had um, uh, 
business relationships or employment relationships with large enterprises, like in the healthcare general uh, healthcare industry, generally you'll have uh, a surgeon that works for a provider network. I think that you'll actually see that you know surgeons will start to expand their reach. You'll have a consultation that goes uh, remotely. You'll have robotic surgery that's possible across many different health systems. You'll have um, that uh, the ability of that surgeon to broaden the base of the employers that they work for and the customers that they serve. Then I think you'll start to see all of these other really fancy things that everybody are talking about uh, start to come on after that. But I'm kind of practical. I, I, th- I think we'll see uh, the nature of way w- the way work is done change first. We're talking with Jeff Edland. He is the chief technology officer uh, over at uh, the Communications Media and Solutions Organization within Hewlett Packard Enterprise Services and talking about 5G. We're going to have to take a break and then move on to some other subjects. But Jeff, if you could hold on, we're going to uh, do kind of a bonus uh, segment for our video podcast uh, viewers that will be available up on our website. You're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. And if you want to see and hear more of our uh, 5G talk and and just even talking about some of the politics of it, uh, go to getconnectedmedia.com. We'll have it posted up there. Back after this. We're back with The App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We're going to talk about Alexa now. Some people love Alexa. Some people hate her. But one thing's for sure, she's not going anywhere, and she's only getting smarter to help us understand how. We've got our uh, tech expert. Uh, His name is Brian Jackson. He's the research director in the CIO practice at Infotech Research Group, the world's fastest-growing information technology research and advisory firm. Brian, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Mike. I have to say I've got Alexa all over my house. Uh, I like it. Uh, Some members of my family do not. Uh, so sometimes I'm low in the polls, uh, but uh, it can do some some fantastic things, and it is only getting smarter. Uh, recently, there was the Alexa Developers Conference, and uh, you were able to uh, check in on that. And uh, there's some kind of interesting and cool stuff that it's going to be able to do. Uh, what, what's the kind of the underlying uh, message here from this conference? Yeah, so the underlying message is really that Alexa and Amazon wants to work with developers and it wants to make Alexa better by partnering with all sorts of digital services that you'll be able to interact with through Alexa. And it plans to continue to put Alexa into all sorts of different household appliances and pieces of furniture and doodads and gadgets. Uh, Just like we know now, we've already seen a lot of Alexa in microwaves stoves, uh, dishwashers. I mean, basically you name it, uh, you can buy it with Alexa, but that's just going to be a trend that continues as we move into a manufacturing world where more things are manufactured with connected features than not. A question for you before we get into some of the, the new stuff they announced, uh, you know, back and even now, I guess there's kind of a couple competing ecosystems now. There's Amazon with Alexa and there is Google with their Google Assistant and their Google Home uh, in, environment. Do you think Amazon is ahead of Google now? Like they just seem to have so many more skills, uh, things that their devices can do. Yeah, uh, 
Yes, I do. I think Amazon is ahead of Google, especially when it comes to working with developers in the voice first space. It's a much more mature relationship. They have a developer portal that you can log into. Google doesn't really have that sort of rich experience. A lot of the ways that we can work with Google's Actions API for its assistant interactions are, are a bit more vague, right? There's With Alexa, there's some developer kits that you can get on wheels. You can make interactions with Alexa without even knowing how to code. All you need is a developer account and you can log in to create a, a flash briefing and experiences like that. Very simple interactions to get your podcast onto Alexa. Um, but Google doesn't have that, right? And Amazon, its messaging has just been so much more clear about the fact that it wants to work with developers um, and the sort of things that it's providing to them to uh, make Alexa better and make the experience of using skills on Alexa better. It, it looks pretty good. Like right now, I don't think most people actually talk to Alexa for third-party skills, right? Because yeah, the problem is that you have to remember the name of the skill you want to talk to. Like imagine every time you went to your mobile phone, right? You pull out your iPhone. You're like, oh yeah, I want to use this app. Well, you don't you don't necessarily like have to call it by name to use it, right? You just tap on the icon. You don't have to remember it. You just have to recall it once you see it. So that sort of visual interface make, makes it so much easier to reach out and use all sorts of different apps. Uh, and that's been a big challenge that um, Alexa and Google Assistant ha have are trying to crack that nut still in figuring out how do we get people using uh, third-party skills, how do we get them interacting with them without having to remember the specific name uh, to say every time. Yeah, you know, you're right there. I've uh, got a lot of smart home devices, as you can imagine. And sometimes um, I, I get a little frustrated because, like you said, I have to remember the exact name and, and verbiage when I'm saying that skill out loud to get my vacuum cleaner going or turn my fan off, for example. Yeah. So Alexa, they announced a solution for that, right? At this conference, uh, they announced this feature called name-free interactions. So this is in developer preview right now. So, so if you're a person that's a developer, you could go on and sign up for this preview and, and try it out with your skill. But basically what it does is it allows you to program some different catchphrases that people would use when you're skill they're thinking about doing the thing that your skill does so uh the example they used in the uh keynote there was with the app called plan my trip which is a sort of a obviously a trip itinerary planning app right although I, it's funny they use that example because i don't think people are going many places these days <laughs> uh, but let's assume travel returns to us at, at some point in the future instead of having to say alexa talk to plan my trip you'll be able to say alexa i want to plan a trip or alexa uh what flights do i have scheduled right and then alexa will be smart enough to say oh this guy wants to talk to this app that does that thing, right? So it's getting more conversational in terms of identifying what is this person saying? What are they trying to accomplish? And what are the tools that we have available to actually get that done? They also talked uh, from from the brief thing I read about um, like uh, n natural language, being able to understand that as well, which I think is important for any of these kind of digital assistants. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's really what makes our smart assistants smart, right? We're always talking about this artificial intelligence in Alexa. Well, it, you know what? It's not learning much about you. It, it's actually not that smart. The the only <laughs> smart thing about Alexa or even Google Assistant right now is that it understands you. So it's able to tra translate your natural language when you speak English or whatever language you happen to speak to Alexa. It can trans translate that into a computer command and then return the right input uh, that you're looking for, whether that's a weather report or a song on Spotify, right? So that that's been sort of limited so far. Like it only understands and is able to produce a certain set of responses um, to, to a narrow band of things that you would say to it, right? Um, and Amazon says that's going to get better. They say they're making Alexa smarter with this deep neural nets feature. So this, the, the idea with artificial intelligence is it works with these neural nets that is set up and goes through different cascades of decision-making. So just imagine that it's like a brain that's getting smarter, getting more dense, more connections are being made. And that means that we'll be able to talk to Alexa in a more conversational way. And instead of spelling everything out, painfully every time it'll be able to like remember certain preferences you have or be able to react to certain uh, conversations that you're having and more like a person would sort of keep the thread of a conversation going it, it'll remember so let's use an example with ordering a pizza right you're talking to um well wh where would you normally order pizza from mike let's say domino's yeah. Okay. Domino's is a good one because they do have a, a voice skill. So you'd say, uh, Alexa, talk to Domino's or Alexa, I want to order my favorite pizza, let's say. And then Alexa would, would remember that you use Domino's and your favorite pizza is, Mike? Hawaiian. Hawaiian pizza. Pro pineapple. Controversial. Big, big time. Like it. Okay. <laughs> so it, it would program that in and would say, okay, are you ready to order? You say, you know, no, you know what? Brian's over this time. So make sure to uh, put on extra bacon because that's what he likes on pizza. And also make it an extra large because we're going to need a lot of pizza. <laughs> and Alexa would just make those adjustments to your pizza and uh, order it for you instead of you having to rejig your whole order. So that's the power of this conversational feature that's being added. We're talking with Brian Jackson all about uh, Alexa getting even smarter, for better or for worse. Uh, we're going to have to take a break and uh, move on to some other topics here on the App Show, uh, including the top five apps for budgeting during COVID. But Brian, we're going to get you to hang on the line because we're going to do a bonus feature for the video podcast up on our website, talking a little bit Brian. more about some of the crazy stuff uh, happening with Alexa and uh, a bit of back and forth with TikTok and Amazon uh, as well. You're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network, back after this. You are back with The App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. Well, with CERB uh, set to run out in September and many unsure about their job with financial stress levels going up really high, uh, it's time to look at uh, some budgeting uh, apps. Uh, you know, 63% of Canadians are feeling stressed about paying their bills in this summer, according to Borrowell. There's a, a number of uh, different apps we can have a look at to maybe help lower that. We've got Barry Choi. Uh, he is a personal finance expert. Thanks for joining us, Barry. Yeah, happy to be here, guys. Glad to have you on the program here. Uh, this is something I'm concerned about uh, as well. Uh, mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty out there, but uh, you have uh, got uh, a few uh, budgeting apps that we can talk about uh, today. Where do we want to start? 
Uh, you know, let's start with Rebe. This is something that I feel like a lot of consumers can take advantage of right away. So Rebe is basically a grocery store app, uh, but more specifically, grocery flyers. So it's a really nice way to for you to look at what grocery stores are in your neighborhood, look at the flyers so you can meal plan, price compare, price match. So, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, oh my goodness, my grocery bills are going up, up, up. But here's an opportunity to keep your prices at a reasonable level and, you know, really just plan, plan your meals, stay on budget because right now it's the small things that count. Well, I think that's a good point. Uh, you know, one of our big expenses, of course, is food. So uh, if you can get food for less, uh, uh, that uh, does add up to considerable savings. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go. Uh, what's the next app? Uh, you know what? One that's really popular is called You Need a Budget. So unfortunately, a lot of people in Canada, not just in Canada, they just don't have a budget. They just don't understand how it works. And it should be pretty simple. You know, for me as an expert, it's easy for me to say that for people who have their finances under control, very easy for them to deal with it. But for a lot of people out there, they just don't know where to start. So You Need a Budget is exactly what it sounds like. They help you create a budget. So, you know, you list your income, you connect your finances to it. That could be your investments, your bank accounts. And the app and such software basically looks at where all your money is going and outputs everything. And what they try to do is assign your money a dollar value. So they want every single one of your dollars to work for you. Uh, the only problem with this app that I feel like it's a bit expensive. It costs eleven ninety nine. I'm pretty sure that's US dollars per month. But if you pay it once a year, $84 US. And I think that's a much more reasonable price. Very, very cool. Uh, what's the next app you got? Well, you know, you're talking about the survey results from Borowell, and this is what I really like about them because they're putting real data that can help Canadians out there. So for those who are unfamiliar with Borowell, they became a major player on the scene a couple of years ago because they introduced free credit scores for Canadians. And that's very important if you ever want a loan in the future. But they recently introduced a new feature called Boost. And this is interesting because what it does is they look at your monthly expenses and they predict when your bills are going to pay. And according to the Canadian Payroll Association, about 47% of Canadians are living paycheck to paycheck. And what Borla is really trying to do for Canadians is they want to make sure that you're not missing your bill payments. So they're offering a $75 interest-free loan. And they do this because if you miss just one payment, your credit score could tank. So if you ever want a loan for, say, a car or a mortgage in the future, right? You're not gonna get it. But with Borowell, they'll alert you and they'll tell you, hey, you're running out of money in the bank. You don't wanna miss those bill payments. Yeah, I guess uh, the, the challenge there, I mean, uh, when your credit score goes down, if you do need to borrow money in the future, um, the interest rates go up. <laughs> so uh, it costs That's you more money. That's exactly it, right? If you've got a low credit score, you might not get those favorable rates. You might end up with a high interest rate. Uh, and we're talking about higher than credit cards. So, so you know, you, the last thing you want is like, you know, you've gotten laid off right now. CRB, uh, CERB is running out. And you know what? Sometimes you just, the bills don't line up with your paychecks. And, and a lot of the, like we said, a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck. And you got to just manage your money a lot better. And there's, and that's why we're talking about these apps today, because they all help you in different ways. And when you combine them, it can be really put your financial future back in, in place. Okay. I think we've got a couple more. What's the next one, Barry? Yeah, Rakuten. I don't know if you've ever heard of Rakuten, but it's like a cash back. And I love cash back. I don't know about you, but I like to earn money when, when I spend money. So Rakuten is basically, it used to be called ebates.ca. Maybe that's something you're familiar with. Yes. It's very, very simple, right? You shop online through their portal. You, you go on Rakuten first, right? You click to one of their partner merchants that could be, say, Sephora, Old Navy, uh, Amazon, Apple. They even have a bunch of travel merchants. And depending on what you're buying from them, you get cash back 
back into your own account. And eventually every quarter you get a payout. So again, it's like, hey, you're spending money anyways, you might as well make some money. Uh, and they have an app also, it's basically the same thing as if you go online, you go through the portal, like I said, and an important thing is to go through the portal because if you don't go through the portal, it doesn't record that you're going through them. So you won't get your cash back. That's uh, fantastic. Barry, we've got one more. What do you got? Yeah, so this last app is called Mocha. They used to be called Milo and they rebranded. And what's interesting about them is they help you save money. It's called Roundups, which became really popular over the last couple of years. So let's just say you buy coffee, costs $1.50. You can have Mocha round up to $2. So that extra 50 cents goes to a savings account and you can actually decide to multiply that amount. So let's just say you wanna, hey, you know, I'm gonna do a four times multiplier. So instead of saving 50 cents, save $2 from that purchase for me. So it goes into an account, which you can then invest and Mocha will actually take care of the investing for you because they use different platforms, investment portfolios based on your profile. So it's a good way to save and invest at the same time. And then depending on the type of investor profile you have, maybe you're a conservative investor, maybe you're a little bit more aggressive, or maybe you want to invest in things that are, are meaningful to the environment that have a real environmental impact on things. And they'll allow you to do that also. So it's again, one of those apps that allows you to get into investing for the first time, and hopefully you learn from it and you create better saving habits. Barry, thank you so much for uh, giving these tips. Anytime. That was uh, Barry Choi, a uh, personal finance uh, expert. When we come back from the break here on the App Show, we're going to tell you how you can win a Samsung A71 smartphone. Stay tuned. You're back with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with uh, my good friends John and Graham. I just want to throw to the contest one more time. We are giving away a brilliant Samsung Galaxy A71 smartphone. Running Android, uh, this thing is beautiful. Fantastic screen great camera and we are uh, giving one away this uh, this month if you want a chance to win this super easy all you have to do is visit our website getconnectedmedia.com and hit our newsletter tab if you do that and enter our newsletter you're entered to win all of the prizes and contests that we're doing this year and we're literally giving away thousands of dollars uh, of stuff and you know what our website's actually really cool we've got all sorts of uh, great tech tips up there latest uh, gadget reviews uh, how-to videos uh, and also our radio and audio podcasts uh, as well so uh, lots of uh, neat stuff again getconnectedmedia.com I want to thank everyone that helps put the show together including my two co-hosts uh, Graham and John and of course Christina our uh, producer and the rest of the gang back at the ranch we'll see you again next time You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.